If you're visiting with us, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors, and it's been my privilege to be a pastor here for, I don't know how many years now, 13, 14, something like that, and I appreciate so much um, the opportunity to preach to you, and uh, you give the opportunity to exercise the call that God has on uh, my life, and I'm glad that you're here today. If you're visiting with us uh, today, I'd love to meet you after the service, and um, if I don't get to uh, meet you, at least grab one of our gifts for you, and that's, uh, I've written some devotionals, and if you didn't get one on your way in, there's some by this door, and we'd love for you to have uh, one of those. We're, um, since the first of the year, we've been talking about our future. And uh, we've said the premise behind this whole thing is that much of our futures we choose. Now, we don't choose the details of our lives. Anything could happen to any of us at, at any time, and that would not be our choice. But we always have a choice on how we deal with that. Um, uh, that's why we say that we choose our futures. We don't choose the details of our futures, but we certainly choose the direction. Now, some of you get overly spiritual and say, no, God's in charge of my futures. Well, if that's true, that's only because you've made the choice to put him there and be Lord of your life. Your, your, your future, in large parts, are, are in your hands. And the Bible talks about that from front uh, to back. Um, we've said this in a lot of different ways. We, we've said that the future is not defined by my circumstances. It's defined by my choices. Now we all have different circumstances in life and some of our circumstances are better than others. I was blessed to be raised in a good home with two Christian parents who did the very best they could uh, for me. And so I was privileged. I had a privileged upbringing. Anyone here that is a Christian uh, today, you had a privileged uh, upbringing. And um, your circumstances may have been better. But even if circumstances are not good, our circumstances don't define us. We all have the power of choice because God has uh, given us free will. And I can't point the finger at my circumstances or I can't point the finger at other people. The finger has to point back at me. And soon as someone will turn that finger around and point it back as you, at you, change is about to start happening in your life when you accept responsibility for your actions. We, we've said uh, a lot about this in a lot of different Ways And as I was reading about choices this week, I read something that I've never read before in my whole life, and I've read a lot about choices. Your circumstances don't determine where, where you will end up. They just determine where, you're, where you will start, and amen, that is good. That's so simple, but it is really so profound. They don't determine where you will end up. They determine where you will start. And so when I say I had a privileged upbringing because I had mom and dad in the home and I had two Christian parents, I had a good start. My choices will determine where I will end up, but even if I did not have that good start, my positive choices could um, 
make me end up in a good place. By the way, Christian parents, by staying married and by being Christian, you give your kids a really good start. Do that for them. By staying married and being Christians, you give your kids a leg up. You give them privilege. Do that. Do that. You allow them to grow up in good circumstances. Now, we finished our sermon series today, but if I had a week longer, I would, would preach um, a message that's kind of based around this, this next thing that I have on the screen for you here. Uh, uh, for me to enjoy God's best in my future, I must not choose like everyone else. I must choose differently. Looking back on this, I really reached, uh, wish I would have preached a sermon where that was about that. And maybe I will one day. But for, for me to have God's best in my future, I can't make the choices that everyone else make. I have to choose differently. We, we all know that we conform many times to culture. Peer pressure is not just a um, teenager type of deal. And for me to enjoy the best that God has for me in 2024 and beyond, I can't choose like everyone else. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the gate that not very many people go through. That's why it's narrow. enter through the gate that most people don't go through. For wide is the gate that everybody goes through. It's wide because it's got to let everybody through. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to a lot of mess in life. That leads to a lot of trouble in life. That leads to a lot of difficulty in life. This translation happens to say destruction. And there's a whole slew of people that go through that gate. There's a whole slew of people that make those choices. But small is the gate. And narrow is the road that lead to a really good future. That lead to life. You know, Jesus said something really odd in, in John 10.10. 10. Uh, he was talking to people that were alive, and he says, I have come that you would have life. That's kind of silly. Hey, you people out here that are alive, I have come that you would have life. <laughs> I have come that you would really live. And Jesus says here that, that if you're going to have God's future, that your choices 
can't be the same as everyone else's. Your choices might be different. Now, we don't like, we don't like to be different uh, because, um, you know, it makes us, uh, you know, it makes us feel comfortable if we're all in this together. And we don't like to, to many times stand alone and we don't like to be away from the crowd. That's where the whole peer pressure thing comes through. But, but, but it's, it's true that that's who we are by nature as human beings. We like to be joiners. We, we, we like to do what everybody else. Haven't you heard somebody say, well, everybody's doing it. Well, that's what everybody thinks. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 12. He says, just don't conform to what everybody else is doing. Don't, don't get in lockstep with what your neighbor's doing. This, this is really hard. This is really hard when it comes to some circumstances of life, and especially if you weren't raised in a Christian family, that you have to break from family and break from family traditions because when you break from family, you're basically saying that I think my family was wrong. And that's tough. But remember that if you're going to enjoy the future that God has for you, you can't choose like everyone else. You just can't. Narrow is the gate. And that verse says, few people will find the way to life. What's few mean, Mark? I don't know. I really don't. 80% of the people in the United States will tell you they're Christian. And that flat out denies what Jesus just said, that few people, few people will find the way. And one of the ways that we find the way is going through the gate and walking the road that not very many people walk on it's a prerequisite to having the future that God wants for you okay that's sermon one for today okay but I just had to say that now what I want to say today is as for the rest of the time is something that you that's not going to be profound and not going to be something that you say, well, I've never heard anybody say that before. I, I got rather perturbed this week. Um, I was watching a video of a well-known preacher. I've been teaching preaching to ministerial students now for over 20 years, and, and I'm preparing for a class that starts Monday night, and I was watching a video of this guy, and this guy says that uh, he doesn't like to repeat himself. And I vehemently disagree with him. I repeat myself intentionally because if what I said two years ago it's true it's still true today and I know that if you're anything like me you're not a good listener and we have to hear things more than once or maybe when we heard it that first time we didn't have ears to hear Oh, yeah, our ears were working, 
But because of our spiritual condition at that time or what was going on in our lives, we didn't have ears to hear. Now, I'm not talking about repeating the same sermon. I'm talking about repeating the same theological thoughts over and over again. There's only about seven topics that any preacher preaches on. You can put any sermon in about seven categories that any preacher preaches on. And we must preach those things over and over again. Sinclair Ferguson, a preacher of yesteryear, says preaching is nothing more than reminding people of what they already know. Because if you're like me, you don't live up to everything you already know. And you need to be reminded of those things. Those things will encourage you that you already know and will encourage you to live, walk in those ways. So here's what I'm going to tell you today that you already know. You've heard me say it many times in my years of preaching here. I can promise you, promise you one thing about your future. Your future will have storms. Now, I'm not talking about thunder and lightning. Your future will have difficult times. Your future will have bad times. That's, that's, that's a given. You know this. I can look at people right now. I won't do it. But I could start naming the tough times that you've been through, the crisis moments, the tragedies that you've had. And you know what? They're not over. How's that for a good news preacher today? <laughs> the Bible says from front to back that our future will have storms. So I can't finish a, a sermon series on what our future holds in 2024 and beyond without telling you that our future will have storms. Now, I want to launch today from a passage of Scripture of a literal storm, a literal thunder and lightning type of storm. It came from Mark chapter 4. And here, the Bible says, that day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along that, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37 says, a furious squall. When was the last time you used the word squall? A furious storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39 says, he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Verse 40 says, he said to his disciples, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then 41 says they were terrified. They weren't terrified because of the storm. The storm was calm. It says they were terrified and they asked each other, who in the world is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? 
I want to tell you this morning that something that you already know, and we see from this passage that storms happen. They just happen. If you read the verses and the chapters leading up to this account in Mark, you won't see the disciples were out of the will of God. You won't see that the disciples uh, had been misbehaving and they needed to experience consequences for their misbehavior. You will not see that they were out of the will of God and God had to discipline them with, with this uh, uh, storm. You won't see that at all. You won't see that at all. Friends, I, I want to just tell you that storms happen. You cannot find a single significant biblical character and what I mean by significant biblical characters, there's lots of biblical characters that show up on one page in Scripture and we don't ever hear from them again. I'm talking about a single significant biblical character that did not go through hard times in their lives. You cannot find one of them. Storms happen, friends. They just happen. Now, I can get all theological and all biblical on you, and that's well and good, and tell you why storms happen. And we can do a Bible study, and I can list the reasons that storms happen in our lives. Now, I'm not going to take another hour to be able to list all those. I'm going to read them very, very quickly, very quickly, and not do them any justice at all. It, 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 it helps us intellectually, but it will not help you emotionally. Storms happen because we live in a fallen world. This world is not the way that it's supposed to be because of sin. Storms come from the freedom to choose. Storms come from the freedom to choose that we were given in Genesis chapter 2. And as you go through Many of the biblical characters, the storms came in their life because they made poor choices. And am I the only one um, honest enough to stand that many, not all, many of the storms in my life have come because of my poor choices? Storm reveals what's in our heart, it says in Matthew chapter 13. It, it, it tests our commitment to God. To see if we're just in this for, for, for uh, heaven down the road or we're, just, or we're in this only for God to make things really good in our lives. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to junk him and go, go get a rabbit's foot or try something else. Storms real, reveal what's in our hearts, Matthew 13 says. Storms give us an opportunity to trust God, James chapter 1 says. If, if you never, ever had a really tough time in your life, how would you ever know that you could trust him? Storms help us find each other. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I, I read this verse at every funeral, that, that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those with the same comfort that we receive from God. Storms help us find each other and then storms help us find God second Corinthians chapter 12 says it's when we are weak then we are strong 
It's when we are weak we find that God's grace will be sufficient for us. Nobody finds that God's grace is sufficient for you when everything's going great in your life. When you're on the mountaintop, nobody finds that God's grace is sufficient for you. You only find that God's grace is sufficient when you're going through storms in your life. And that was about an hour Bible study I just went through in two minutes right there. <laughs> that intellectually, truthfully, biblically gives you theological reasons that you can intellectually grasp. But many times when those tough times come, it doesn't do it emotionally for you. I know that. It doesn't do it emotionally for you. That's why there's, there's, there's sometimes, as, as heretical as this sounds there there's maybe got to be something more than just a a bible study on on why bad things happen it says in our our story in in mark chapter four it 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 says in in our story that the disciples started asking the the why question jesus was in the stern he was asleep on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care? That question was asked. Mark, Mark was written Mark was written in about uh, A.D. Uh, 55 to 60. We don't know for sure. Mark, so Mark wrote that uh, almost 2,000 years ago. And we still ask that question today. You, want, you know one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true? I believe the New Testament is reliable, that I believe in the veracity and the truth of the New Testament. It's because it's up to date and it speaks to stuff that, that, not stuff that just happened years and years and decades and centuries ago. It speaks to stuff that's going on in our lives. And how many people today, all over the world, are saying, Jesus, don't you care? Interesting that in this passage, Jesus doesn't answer the question. He ignores the question. He gets up and calms the wind, calms the waves, and then challenges them with, you still have no faith. It's an unanswered question there. And if we're going to deal with the why question and we're going to deal with the teacher, why don't you care questions, and we're going to deal with, with, with all the questions about why storms happen, we, we must end up being at peace with the unanswered question because we will never have an answer to that question. I don't care who you hire to replace me. I don't care how many letters he has behind his name. He will not be able to answer that question. We must be at peace. With the unanswered. If you don't grab that somewhere along your life, if these teens don't grab that now, they're going to be up and over and topsy-turvy in the Christian life. And every time everything happens to them, they're going to be thrown for a loop and they're going to be just, just going nuts and can't believe God did this to me and up and down and over. And you ever know people like that in their Christian life? They're up one day and down the next, up, down, over and under. They're not stable. The Bible says they're blown like the winds of the waves. They never get stability in their life. And one way to get stability in your life is you must 
become at peace with the unanswered questions. And if you, now listen to me, if you never become at peace with the unanswered questions, if you're constantly a why, if you're constantly, why is God doing this to me? Whoa, why, why, why? Let me tell you, you don't know that you're being arrogant, but you are being arrogant. Listen to me before you turn me off here. You don't mean to be arrogant, but you are being arrogant because you think that somehow you've got to figure out God or that you can figure out God. And if you can figure out God, he's a small God. And you don't need a small God, you need a big one. You need a big one. And any God that my finite brain can understand is not the biblical infinite God. I don't, I don't try to be. I don't try to be arrogant. No, don't mean to be arrogant. But the consequence and the logic of that question is that somehow me as a creature ought to be able to figure out the creator. And if you think about that, how arrogant is that? You don't mean to be arrogant. I know that. I know that. I know you don't mean to be arrogant. We have a sovereign God. And how in the world is my pea brain going to figure him out? The only thing I know about him is what he's chosen to reveal. Let me repeat myself. You've heard me tell the story of Kirk Gentrop. Kirk was the best basketball player I ever coached on his way to a Division I scholarship. Playing left field in a baseball game, a lightning bolt ricocheted off the outfield fence and nailed him right here and killed him instantly. You saw him laying in his coffin with a burn mark right here. When I got that news, it threw me, I was a new Christian, threw me for a loop. Straight A student. Yes, sir. No, sir. Just, just kind of guy you wanted to play for you. I did what you're not supposed to do. I went and sat down and I, on my couch and I opened my Bible and I kind of went like this or said, God, say something to me. And in his graciousness as an immature Christian, he responded to me. And, and finally, in my reading of the Bible that evening, I fell upon Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, say, Oh, the depths of the mercies and wisdom of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his ways beyond finding out. I'm quoting that in the translation I memorized it in. God gave me this that night. I didn't hear an audible voice. I heard him through his word. That's the way we hear him. He said, Mark, oh, the depths of the riches wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are my judgments and my ways are beyond tracing out who has ever known my mind and who has ever been my counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him and then he ends with a doxology for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever amen 
I can worship a God like that. I can worship a God like that. I can bow down to a God like that. I can't bow down to a God that my pea brain can figure out. I was at seminary and I was at chapel at Asbury Seminary on one morning and the speaker who I cannot even remember his name was talking about this subject and he was telling what happened 20 years ago when his daughter and son-in-law were killed on their honeymoon. I don't, I'm sure he told us how they were killed, I don't remember. And he says, I've had to live with this for 20 years. And he says, I still don't understand. He says, but I've learned to be at peace with the question. That's where I learned this. That moment dramatically affected the rest of my Christian life. He says, I don't know why all that happened. But I've learned to be at peace with the question. Think, listen, put, 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 your, put your thinking cap on. That the fact that we even ask that question, like why do bad things happen and all that, that's proof that God exists. Because if we are nothing but a compilation of a bunch of cells that came together randomly, no intention, no design at all, that came together randomly, and all of a sudden there was something that happened, and all of a sudden life ha- I can't. I don't have enough faith to believe this, by the way. And all of a sudden that life just happened like that with no guider, with no designer, then why in the world do does me as a compilation of nothing but cells, random cells, even have a moral thought? Why would I even have a moral thought? I'm just a bunch of cells that randomly came together with no intention and no design. Why would I even have a moral thought to even ask that question? But see, we're created in God's image. Do your cats have those thoughts? Do your cats ponder the great questions of the universe? Only because my DNA was composed by a designer, do I have the ability even to ponder the unanswerable questions of this universe? Friends, there's somewhere that you've got to be at peace with the unanswered question. And if you just can't do that, you might as well walk out this door and walk out on Christianity right now because you will always have it. You will always have it. Christianity is not for you. If you have to have every single one of your questions answered, Christianity is not for you. You might as well leave right now. I'm teaching a new class this week, Pauline Epistles, on Thursday night. And I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the 13 letters that Paul wrote. 
And the first thing I will say on Thursday night is, now I will not be able to answer every single thing that you ask me about what Paul wrote. Because I can't figure out all of it. There's some of it, after doing this for a living for 30 years, I still can't make sense of. And that leads me to it's all about faith. In this passage, Jesus looked to the disciples and said, do you still have no faith? I, I don't know how you hear that. I hear a little agitation in Jesus' voice. Kind of like my mom when she would say, how many times have I told you that, Mark? He says, do you still, after watching me do this, after seeing me do that, do you still have no faith? And when the inexplicable things happen and when the storms come and your lives and there's those unanswered questions that you must be at peace with you realize that this Christianity thing is all about faith there are questions we will never be able to answer and if you're not a faith person well first of all you are a faith person if you hear people say, well, I, you know, if it can be proven to me that Jesus rose from the dead, well, come on, man. It can't be proven to you that this thing right here is not going to poison you when you drink it today. How's that going to be proven to you? How many things in this life do you take by faith? You get, you get in this car and drive home, you have no clue whether somebody's not going to be driving on the wrong side of the road and end your life like this. You drive a car by faith faith that that person will stay on their side of the road you live your life by faith you don't live your life by proof so why do you demand proof of theological matters you know how much faith it took for me to hand the keys over to Christopher and Levi. <laughs> think, think about that, Dean. You're going to hand the keys to Jack one day. <laughs> and say, see you, son. Be careful. A lot of faith. The writer to the Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the Hebrews letter. Some people think it's Paul, but there's no proof that it's Paul. It's not a, Paul doesn't, the, the writer doesn't say in there who wrote it. But whoever wrote the letter of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you want to please him today, you live by faith, which is what Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We live by faith and not by sight. And if you can't live by faith, this lot, Christian life is not for you. You need to go find another one. Because you're never going to get past 
your stumbling block of faith. As I told you before, how much it pleases you as a parent when your young child that does not yet have the brain power to figure out why you said no just accepts your no and says, okay, Daddy, I trust you. And I know that doesn't happen very often. But if your child just accepts your no and says, okay, Daddy, and trusts you with something that he or she does not understand, that pleases you greatly as a daddy. And the Bible says he's our Abba Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for daddy. Papa. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What you're looking at right now, all is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. After Jesus' death... Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I can see him, put my finger and touch him and all that kind of stuff. For some reason, Jesus accommodates him. (laughs) Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger right here, man. Yeah, that's where they slice me. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas fell at his feet, I imagine, and said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said something unbelievable. Because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Thomas, you've seen me and believed. Big deal. Blessed are those who will not see and believe. I'm telling you, friends, it's all about faith. all about faith but the cool thing about faith is that we don't have faith in someone that's like us we don't have faith in someone that I can figure out we have faith in the one that I'll call this morning the master of the wind storms happen but we know the master of the wind Verse, four, verse 41 says the disciples were terrified and says, Who in the world is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Our faith is not in something that we conjure up. Our faith is in a mighty big God, the creator, sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent God of this universe. He's the master of the wind and you should be glad you can't figure him out because if you could figure him out he's a mighty small God he wouldn't be the master of the wind so when you're going through the difficulties of storms that happen and when you're struggling to be at peace with unanswered questions and when you're struggling to have faith and 
and, and believe what you can't see. Know that you're asked to have faith in the one who literally the wind and the waves obey. That's who you're called to trust. That's who you're called to give your life to. And every single Sunday here at Xenia Nazarene, we remember that he is the master of the most ferocious and fierce wind that we will ever face in our lives. And that's the fear, wind of death. That because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has mastered the most difficult storm that we will ever have to face in our lives. The Bible says in light of eternity, these storms that we go through now are short and momentary. Now, I'm not putting down and making trivial of what you're going through right now. Please don't hear that. I'm just telling you that the Bible says, in light of eternity, what we're going through now is short and it's momentary. And eternity has been promised to us if we will only believe by the master of the wind who gave his son to be able to die for us. And every single Sunday at Xenia Nazarene, we finish our service by talking about the main thing. Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And your reliance on that and throwing away any supposed goodness of your own and relying on what God has done for you. Our servers are coming to the table this morning. Father, I certainly haven't said anything new today. I've said the same thing I've preached many times and that preachers in this pulpit have preached many times. I pray today that these people have ears to hear. I pray today that they will just come to grips with the fact that storms happen in our life. No way around it. I pray that each one of us can, by your grace, be at peace with the unanswered questions of life. I pray that you'll give us a faith even if it's the size of a mustard seed. And I thank you that you are the master of the wind. And you are no Johnny-come-lately God. And you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in whom we place our trust. Be with us now as we come around the table to remember your son the greatest exhibition of your love for us. And we pray these things in his name.
Amen and amen.